Good morning, glad you're here. Merry Christmas, all those things. Right, glad you're here, especially those of you who are visiting with us. So glad that you have uh, chosen to be here on a Sunday morning, cold. It feels like it'd be a good day to lay in bed. I know that, but um, I promise that you'll be happy that you came today. I shouldn't say I promise. I hope that you'll be happy you came today. And uh, we've got just a, a lot to do today, a lot to say, and uh, a lot going on in your life, a lot going on in my life um, with Christmas and all the hustle and bustle. So. Give you an opportunity this morning before we get started to just to kind of quiet your life a little bit. Um, whatever you got going on, I know some of you have uh, lots of fun things going on during the holidays. You got family coming in, and some of you have nightmares going on because you got family coming in. Um, you know what I'm saying? And uh, at, at this point, what happens, and I'll just be real honest with you, those of you who are visiting with us, you're going to get a little glimpse of what we do on Sundays. We don't believe that what we do this morning is what God really wants us to do with our life all the time. That he, he, we don't believe that what God wants from us is to show up on Sunday mornings, put in our dues, sing our songs, listen, do the little religious thing, and then walk back to a life that looks just like the rest of the world. We don't believe that's what God wants from us. In fact, we would believe that what God wants most of us happens outside of these doors, happens from Monday through Saturday during the week. And what we do on Sunday is we come in, we kind of take this deep breath together, we go, okay, now we get some energy to, to do it again next week, and we can begin to actually make an impact on the people around us and do the things that God wants us to do. So that's what this is. Um, one of the things, if you're here, you're visiting with us, and you go, you know what, this is not my thing, I'm not a religious person, you might be real surprised to find that we're not very religious around here either. <laughs> we're not. We, we love God, we love each other, but the things that, that man makes up to make rules and those kinds of things, we're not really in on around here. And so we're learning a lot about this during a series called The Story. And what I'd like to do is I'm going to kind of explain to you what it is if you haven't heard about it. Some of you are visiting with us and then kind of jump right into where we are with it. But um, before we do that, there is this thing that happens with church people, especially with church people, where they come and they put on this fake face. You know, some of you have been doing it so long you forgot that you even do it anymore and you feel like it's just part of your life where you come, you have this terrible week, you've been fighting with your husband and your kids all the way here. As soon as you open the door, somebody goes, how's your day? And you go, I'm good. And you put on this cheesy, stupid grin that God sees right through. And guess what? Those of us who know you well, we see through it too. And if we're not careful, we all see through each other's fake mask thing. And then we just kind of breed this culture of fakeness. And I just want to come against that this morning. And just before we get started, go, God, we're not going to be that in this place. And the problem is none of us want that, but it becomes an easy thing to do. So what I'd like for you to do this morning is before we get started, I'd like for you to kind of just drop that mask. Now, if you don't want to drop the mask today, then that's okay. You can leave it on, and that's fine. You can, you can kind of just fake it, and that, that's okay. But for those of you who don't want to live like that, those of you who aren't choosing it, you just kind of forgot, and it kind of happens. I want to give you this opportunity right now, and I need it too, because man, the preacher can be the worst at this. Can have an awful week, and I just feel like I got to be the guy who's smiley, cheesy, shake your hand guy. 
And if I'm not careful, I become just a big mask up here. And that is the last thing that any of us wants this morning. So before we get started, I'm going to ask you if you would to just kind of be real. I, and that may sound weird coming from a preacher, but I just want you to be real this morning, right before God. And the way you do that, if you're, if you're, if you're not a God person, you never really connected with God, or maybe you have and you've been faking it, then the way that God, what God wants most from you right now and what he calls worship and what he wants most from you on a Sunday is to, to say two things to him. God, I realize you're in charge, and I realize I'm not. And I, I just want you to kind of guide me. And that's it. That's all it takes this morning, okay? And those of you who are kind of kicking the tires on, trying to decide whether this is right or not, if you just kind of try this with me this morning, and we're going to bow our heads and we're just going to pray this, and if, if you're a Christian, you've been around here a long time, I especially want you to do this this morning. And you go, God, I forgot this week. I thought I was in charge. I thought my 401k is where my peace comes from. I thought my, uh, you know, all these things is where I get peace, but I, I remember today it's you. We're going to do that before we get started, and then we're going to dive in. So give a little bit of quiet this morning for you to pray, and then I'll close this out. God, for some of us, this is as quiet as it's been this week. And in the midst of the quiet, God, we pray that you would bring us perspective on who we are, on who you are. If we're not careful, we, we walk into this place and we check it off a list of one more thing that we feel like we have to do during the week. And God, we don't want to be that. So would you look into our lives today and give us a deep breath of perspective and peace. And as, as we open up this story today, your story... Pray that you would speak into our lives, that you would move us, that you would strengthen our faith. God, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to worship, the opportunity to be here, the opportunity to be together, and do life together. And we pray you be honored by our time together in your son's name. Amen. So we're in the series called The Story. And if you don't have a book yet, this is a book we're all reading, we're all going through, hopefully, most of us. Some of you already dropped it, you got tired of it. Pick it back up, please. Okay, we're on chapter 6 this week. We start chapter 6, so we're not that far into it. I, you can read six chapters of this book so quickly. It really is easy to catch up if you're not caught up. If you don't have a book, I see them. There's some right now on the table out there. there aren't, they go fast, so pick them up. Um, they're six bucks. If you've got the money, if you don't have the money, then just pick one up anyway. We've got people that have donated. This is an amazing book that helps us take the Bible from Genesis through Revelation from the beginning to the end of the Bible and put it in order and help us understand it. Now that said, there's still some hard things to understand. I mean, it, it's still, it's not like it just kind of makes it, it just kind of makes it all real easily understandable. It makes it better, it makes it easier. But we're then coming here, we're kind of digging into this thing together and I, I'm telling you, this is kind of changing the way I look at the Bible. Risha and I had a long conversation last night. Risha, if you like the sermon today, then I wrote it. If you didn't, then Risha wrote it. Um, <laughs> But Arisha and I kind of did this together yesterday um, because I, I read this thing and I said, man, this story is a hard thing to preach. And this chapter stinks. And just to be real honest, I don't like it. And I know it sounds bad to say I don't like a part of the Bible, but I don't like a part of the Bible. There's a part of the Bible I just don't like. I don't want to talk about it. And if, it, if, if it's up to me and the way I grew up, this is the part of the Bible you skip over. 
Let's get to the fun part where, you know, Jesus does big things and everybody smiles and laughs. This is not that part of the Bible, and I don't want to skip over it today. And, and I, I want you to hear where we're at. But I, for those of you who are visiting with us, I want to give you kind of a, a quick, long story short, okay, so to speak. Here it is. Next slide. I've kind of set this sermon up today so that maybe you've never heard a sermon like this before if you're visiting with us. It's kind of a weird thing, and I'm a different kind of preacher. I'm kind of just, I have another job. I don't preach full-time. I just do this on Sundays, and it kind of is what I love to do, but I have another job. So it's kind of like I'm just kind of one more person in the congregation, and I'm just the one that steps up here and preaches. So I, I really, I'm learning about this, and I'm doing a lot of things with this too, but along the side of, the, of my notes up there, you'll see my sermon notes. So you can look at it and go, oh, one more left, you know, and you can make it through it. But I want you to kind of see where we're going. I want to make sure you don't miss anything in this. And the first thing I want to do is kind of, kind of show you where we're at, because we spent on the last chapter of this book, on chapter 5, we spent three Sundays talking about it, because it was so important. It's kind of how God set things up. But basically, long story short, God creates the world, everything in it, and it goes to pot real quick. I mean, it just goes to mess. And he destroys it with water. And we talked a lot about that Sunday, what that might have looked like. And maybe it was the whole world. Maybe it was just where the people were because there weren't a whole lot of people in the world at that time. But everything was flooded. It destroyed all the people and all the animals except for God saved this one family whose, whose patriarch was named Noah and a bunch of animals that God wanted to put on this ark. So they put on this big boat, you've heard the story, and they began to start a whole new group of people. And God chose a specific group of people and said, you're going to live differently. You're going to do life differently. And when people see the way you live, they're going to know that there is a God that created everything. And so at that moment, the people started messing up again. There were messes all over the place. And God makes a promise to a group of people. He says, I'm going to promise you some things. I'm going to be your God. Basically, I'm going to kind of adopt you. You don't deserve for me to protect you because you're just another group of people. I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. Okay, let's get that straight. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to, you don't have to, it's not based on what you do. It's just based on you trusting that I'm who I am, who I say I am. So they're like, okay, whatever. God takes them out of Egypt. They're all slaves. God takes this whole group of people out of Egypt. And he does some miraculous things. If you've ever heard the story of, of the Israelites leaving Egypt, then you know the, the kind of miraculous things that God did. He parts uh, an entire sea at one point. The Israelites walk through. God's chosen people walk through the, the sea. And then the people that are chasing them, they get into the sea and the walls close in. And it's amazing. And, you know, historically there's actually a part of the sea where they believe this happened. Um, incredible things. And I can tell you about that later. Um, and God basically rescues this nation. And when he does, he, he unconditionally accepts them. Before he gets any rules, and what we understand about God is this is the way he works. God does not create a bunch of rules and then say, if you obey my rules, you can be my people. And we decided that this is the problem with a lot of our parents in, in our culture today, especially dads for some reason. They like to say, here are my rules. You obey them, and you can be my son. You obey these rules, and I love you. And this creates this tension that, that we believe that all of humanity has a problem with, that we, we treat God this way. But God says, I am going to be yours and you're going to be mine. No strings attached. But because you love me and because I love you and because I'm a good dad, because this is what good moms and dads do, they set up rules to keep their kids from messing up, screwing up their lives. That I, here are some rules. So God then sets some rules. And he starts a new way of doing life. He basically says that... You'll have no other gods before me. At this point in history, people are just worshiping everybody. And God goes, I'll be your one-stop shop for gods. I'm the guy. And then they go, all right, we'll do that. You saved us. Obviously, we want to be your people. You can be our God. 
And then God says, the second thing is this, you're not going to make an image of me. You're not going to make things out of gold and worship them in, in light of me. And they go, but that's what we do. And God goes, not anymore. Because the thing about that is you can put the idol away and manage it at that point. When you want it, you can pull it out and worship it, and then you put it back in the closet. God says, don't try to manage me. Don't make anything and worship it. I am in charge. Okay? So they go, all right, all right. God says, don't misuse my name. When I was a kid, I heard that was don't take the Lord's name in vain, which meant when you stub your toe, don't say God. That's not what this means. Now, that's a whole other issue, and that is something that God isn't fond of. And so that's a whole, but that's not what this means when God mentions this in the Ten Commandments. What it means is this. Don't, people are going to come to you and realize that, you, that God is a part of your life, and you're going to start to say things like, God told me that you're supposed to give me 20 bucks. Don't begin to misuse the name of God for your own good. And we're going to see Moses does that during our story this week, and it cost him big. God says there are huge consequences for misusing my name because it hurts people. And we know this, don't we? This is what religion is. The third commandment is basically thou shalt not set up religion because religion is rules that people make to control other people or to benefit themselves. But then they say, here's what God says. And God goes, I never said that. These are rules that you made up and attributed to me. God says, don't do that. And then God says, I'm going to have, I want you to take Saturdays off. Thou shalt not work. But you go, what does that mean? Well, basically what it means is God goes, you know what? I can't, if you will trust me, you can get done what the rest of the world gets done in six days. It takes them seven days. It'll take you six if you trust me. In fact, I don't want you to work on Saturdays because that's the way the world works. And I'm in charge of your bodies. I created you. And that's the way your bodies work. And if you want to be efficient and you want to live life the way I intend for you to live life, there is one day a week you will take off so that your bodies will do what I meant for them to do. So these people are like, all right, this is a lot of things. I'll write this down. Moses writes it down on a big stone. He comes down. And when he comes down off the mountain, the Israelites are at the bottom of the mountain. They have made a big, they've taken all their earrings and all the gold they have. They put it in a fire. And Aaron, who's supposed to be a leader of this has created a big cow and they're all worshiping God up to this cow and it makes Moses so mad he takes the stone the, the, the stuff that God has just helped him write on stone and he throws it down and it cracks and from the very beginning Moses realized these people are messed up and if you're Moses you go God why would you choose these people out of all the people on the earth why would you choose these people and, and God never really answers that he never answers that I asked that question to myself. I said it to Risha on the way here today. That the way I prepare a sermon is weird. And I'm a weird preacher. And I'm not. I, if you knew everything about my life, you wouldn't want me standing up here. I mean, this is just true. I'm trying. I'm working. I'm getting better. I'm getting closer to God. But the truth is, why, why, would God, why would God use me? There's better guys. And guys with better hair. No amen in there. No man. God, why would you choose a guy like this to stand up and say such important things to people? And I don't know what the answer is for that. God chooses to use people. And in fact, what he does and what, and what we've learned in this story is that the people that you would think are the farthest person from God being able to use and God being able to use as part of the story, he chooses them specifically. And, and you go, all right, what, what these Israelites need is a spokesman. He goes, I got a spokesman for you. I got a guy who can't speak. His name is Moses. He can't speak. He's got a, like a speech impediment. Like, no, God, we said spokesman. Yeah, yeah, watch this. God loves this. He loves to look at life and go, watch this. That's why there are people in this church that I just love. And when somebody comes to me and they're so broken, addiction is huge in this community, you know that. Poverty is huge. Abuse is huge. 
When somebody comes to me and they say, I am the worst you've ever met, there's this thing that happens in me because I've seen it happen and I've seen God do it so many times in the story. Not just the story in the Bible, but the story of Paragon and the story in this culture. People come to me and they go, I am I'm the worst you've ever met and I want to give my life to Jesus if he'll take me. And I go, uh-oh. Because here's what God loves to do. God loves to look at a guy like that and go, watch this. Watch me use the very person that you would never expect to impact lives. And he does that in the story. And it's amazing what he does. He starts a whole new way of doing life. He says that the rest of the world has a king. You won't have a king. I'm your king. And the people begin to start a new kind of life. And the people choose not to embrace God's way of life. And God continues to pursue them anyway. And he begins to keep his promise. And that's when things get messy. And chapter 6 is a tough chapter in this book. It takes us through the book of Numbers, which I always thought was boring until I started reading the story. And I realized this is not boring. There are talking donkeys. There are biting snakes. There are falling birds. This is a cornucopia of animals in this chapter where that God just shows, says, I'm in charge. And I was telling Richard on the way here today that I think this whole story of the, the 40 years that these people who God has chosen walk in the desert. They just walk around in the desert. God has promised them. He said, okay, here's what, here's what you're going to have. You're going to have a land, and what they would say is a land flowing of, with milk and honey. Have you ever heard that phrase? It's, a, one of the only, it, it, it's in the Bible, and it's probably one of the only places you'll find it. There's a couple other places in history that you find that phrase. A land flowing of milk and honey. What it means is everywhere you look, there are big watermelons and big grapes and fruit just you can pull off of trees. These are people who have spent their entire life living in the desert. And, and God has promised them a land that will belong to them where they'll eat what they want to eat, where they can own their own property, where they can have their own homes. They won't be nomads kind of roaming around the desert. And so this is the promise, and they're following Moses to this land. But God's stipulation is this. You can follow Moses, but I'm in charge. And God begins to do some things in these people. For 40 years, they roam around the desert. They do some really awful, hard things things. And if you read the story this week, many of you have Facebooked me and wrote, written me some really honest things. And there's some things, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go ahead and tell you what I'm thinking right here. Some really hard surfaces question. Uh, really, I mean, really hard questions surface. Wow. Really hard questions surface during this time. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, these aren't from Facebook. These are my questions. And I don't believe God's going to strike me down for asking them. And I want you to know this morning that I believe this is the way you read the Bible. You look at this stuff and go ahead and write down, this doesn't make sense to me. This isn't fair. And here's the things I wrote down. Maybe you felt this way too. Why in this story, in this chapter, why does God seem so harsh and unforgiving? I don't know about you, but I read this chapter and I went, that's not the God I know. Because my life is so full of sin and I, I'm such a messed up person. I go to him and the, the New Testament says this, that his mercies are new every morning. And that if you're a sinner, you're far from God, and you've messed up, all it takes is for you to say, God, I, I did it again. I need the blood of Jesus, and you're forgiven. I don't see that, God, in this story. And it feels weird and harsh and gross to me. I'm just going to be honest about it. We're going to talk about that. Moses seems like a hero who was too harshly punished for a moment of weakness. Basically, if you know the story, when what happened and you read it, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you are nodding and feel really uncomfortable about this. Moses is a hero in this story. 
And he continues to do what God asks him to do. You know, I called him, I kind of equated him to Rocky Balboa. Um, he started out kind of rough, and, but he, God kind of worked him out, you know, and you get the dun 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 dun, the eye of the tiger going, and he kind of gets worked out. And he becomes Rocky Balboa. He becomes the hero of the story. Nobody can stop him. And he keeps pointing people to God. And when things get awful, Moses is the only one who says, stand, I'm going to stand up for God. And over and over and over again, Moses is the hero of the story, and he's close to God. But this thing happens. Moses keeps promising the people, you're going to have a better land. You're going to go to this place. They call the promised land, if you've heard that. This promised land is this place flowing with milk and honey where we'll have our own property. We won't have to fight people to keep our lives anymore. This will be our place that God has given us. We will eat. We will drink. We will be happy. We will be, our bellies will be fat. We will be big people. And, and God says, Moses, at one point, Moses, I, I, this is going to be hard, but you need to trust me no matter what. And he does. And if you read this, you go, man, this guy is a hero. I don't even know anybody like this. And then this thing happens. The Israelites start raising up, and they start yelling at Moses and Aaron, who are leading this thing. They start saying, we're tired. Here's what happens. God decides, I'm going to feed these people in the desert. Every morning they wake up to what's called manna. It's the stuff that God raises up out of the ground, and it's like bread. Every morning they wake up to it, God says, I- I'm going I'm to have it for you every day. Don't try to store it, because it'll rot by the next day. I want to I provide your meal every day. So they get up, and you think, wow, it's amazing. In the desert, they have food every day. Until you start eating bread every day for years. And they start going to Moses saying, we want a Big Mac. <laughs> I doubt they said that. We want meat. They said, we want meat. We want something to drink other than water. We, we, want, we want food. We want drink. We want something other than this. And they begin to say, why have you brought... We should, have, we should have stayed in Egypt where we were slaves. And Moses and Aaron have this awful time. And those of you who have ever led in a church, whether you're an elder or a deacon or a minister in a church before, you know this feeling. When things get bad, church people, people who are supposed to be close to God, can be some of the meanest, grouchiest, nastiest people you've ever met in your life. I know that well. It almost got me out of ministry two or three times in my life. Church people can be just flat mean. And these people who are supposed to be close to God say some awful things about Moses. Awful things. They call him names. They say awful things about God. They start raising up their own idols to worship things that they think will bring them meat. They do all these things. And Moses and Aaron will, uh, will you'll see it in our story today, will go to, go to God and say, God, what should we do? And God says, here's the thing. I'll give them some water because they're, they're thirsty. And I'll give them some meat. But he said, here's what I want you to do, Moses. I want you to go to this rock and I want you to say to the rock. Now, this is important. I want you to say to the rock, give water to the Israelites. And when you say to the rock, give water to the Israelites, the rock, water will come out of the rock. Can you imagine that? If you're, a, if you're an Israelite, if you're a person that's been close to God and you're like, all right, I've forgotten who God is. I don't even think God is up there anymore. And I'm thirsty. And all of a sudden, a guy goes, God, bring us water from that rock. And water comes out of a stinking rock, and you've got, like, cold Brita water. You're going, all right, there is a God, and I'll keep going. Well, so God goes, get him some water out of this rock. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to say to the rock, rock, give me some water. Now, I wouldn't recommend trying this when you get home today. God had given this thing to Moses so that the people could see God's provision for them. You get that? So Moses goes to this rock. And when he gets close to the rock, he gathers the people there, as many people as he can, Israelites there. He says, I know you're thirsty. 
and they start yelling, screaming, calling him names, and he gets mad, and he has a staff. And instead of doing what God told him to do, instead of saying to the rock, give me water, because God will give you this water, he hits the rock, and when he hits it, he says something that changed his life forever, for the worse. He hits the rock with a staff, and he says to the people in his anger, must Aaron and I get you water out of this rock? And when he does, water comes out of the rock, and God says to Moses, you misused my name. You said that you were going to get the water for the Israelites. I told you to tell them I was getting them the water. They need to trust me, not you. And i got to tell you, some of you have said, and I totally agree, that it's not fair. But here's what God said to Moses. And it feels like it's not fair at times. He said, Moses, because you misused my name like this, you're not going to see the promised land. You're going to die before it comes. This is a faith shaker for some of us. You go, what? Moses isn't going to get to see the promised land? And somehow this man sticks with it. Now, if I were Moses at that point, I'd be going, I'm done. I'm out. Wouldn't you? I've given up my whole thing for this thing. And now I'm not going to get to see it. But he doesn't. And here's the message for me and for you with this thing that I see in this is that, that Moses misused the name of God. And those of us who are leaders who make it about us somehow are going to pay a big price. God doesn't take it for granted. See, the problem is in this story, the Israelites forgot who God was. They forgot who God was. I've got a friend. His name is Joel. He's a good friend of mine. We've been, he's one of those friends that's been through everything with me, you know? We've kind of been through all the ups and downs of life together, and he lives far away, and I don't talk to him very often, but when I do, it's like we're right next to each other again. My, one of my best friends ever, just one of those guys. I've been, he went through my divorce. I went through some terrible things with him, and we just kind of loved each other through it. And he's been, for a long time, he and his wife have tried to have a baby. And they went through the in vitro fertilization a couple times. They spent a lot of money. Nothing worked. They tried everything. Eventually, they ended up adopting two adorable girls from another country and one little boy. And they are just the cutest kids. And you, we had this rejoicing time. We're like, they have a family, and it's amazing, and it's so cool. And they got the kids home, and they found out quickly that one of the girls has HIV. And they've got it under control, and you know the mess with HIV-AIDS and how hard it is to deal with that. She has HIV, and she's going through the rest of her life. She's young. And one of the other girls has detachment dis- or attachment disorder. And it causes her to, when she, when she deals with her mom specifically, sometimes she clings to her mom, and other times she gives her the silent treatment, just hates her. Now, and the little boy, they, he's having a hard time with the language. None of these kids speak the language. They don't even know English. This is not the Disneyland dream that they thought it was going to be. Truthfully, Joel is one of the funniest, most inf- just fun to be around people I've ever known in my life, with the exception of maybe my wife. And I have never, ever heard him raise his voice, never heard him get mad. And we were talking on the phone last week, and I could hear the kids in the background. Stop it, stop it, stop it. You know, the whole time we're talking, I've never heard that from him. Finally, he's, I heard him put down the phone and yell. I mean yell. And I thought, I don't know this guy. And he's like, I've got to go. i got to go. And I said, all right, man, all right. And he hung up on me, basically. And I hung up the phone and I thought, there is a side of this dude I don't know. Because, see, he adopted something into his life. And he's going through the hardest part 
of this life, the beginning of it. And, and here's what I want you to get today. If you don't hear anything else I say, and if you've read this, and you've read how awful it seems, this 40 years in the desert with these Israelites, and you look and you go, God, I, that's not the God I know. The things he said, he said, at one point, God sends snakes to bite people who, aren't, who have disobeyed him deliberately. Gah! Are you kidding me? Snakes. God doesn't do that in my life. What is this God? And I want you to know this, that at this point in history, this is like my buddy Joel. He's a point in his life, and he's in his 40 years in the desert with his family. And he's at the beginning. And if he doesn't set the tone now for the story of Joel, Christy, Craig, and the family, it will never be right. So you will see things from my buddy Joel and his personality that you've never seen before. And if you take right now, if you met, met Joel, you would go, man, that guy's kind of, ooh, he's intense. And all the stories John thinks about him, I don't know where he's getting those. Because if you take just this point of Joel's life right now, where he's in the 40 years of the desert, you would not know who he really is. And I want you to know, if you read this piece of scripture, these 40 years in the desert with the Israelites, and you look and you go, that's not my God, it's not all your God. It's just a part Right now, God's going, you know what? I've adopted these kids. They don't, some of them don't believe in me. They don't trust me. They're so disobedient. They're making such terrible choices. I have to set the tone now for the rest of the story. Does this make sense? This is what's going on in this piece of Scripture. They have forgotten who God is. Moses and Aaron went out from the assembly. They've forgotten. How quickly they forget. It's dangerous to forget who God is. Look at this. This is what I was talking about. Numbers chapter 21, verse 6. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed. And if you read this week, you know what God told them to do. God said, I will spare these people's lives, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a big snake. This is so confusing. So confusing. If you're, if you're not confused by this, you're, you're just fibbing, okay? Because this is so confusing. Just, just a little bit ago, God told them, don't make any idols. And now he's saying, all right, Moses, here's what you do. You make a big snake. Can you imagine you get bit by a snake and what the first thing you're supposed to do is look at this big snake? God says, I want you to make a big snake and anybody who's been bitten by a snake, they need to trust me and look in the eyes of this fake snake and when they do, they will be healed. Doesn't make sense. Humanly, like just from an irrational standpoint, you're like, what is that? God goes, doesn't make sense, does it? No, it doesn't make sense. You know what? If I give you something rational, wouldn't it be, make sense if God said, just spit on the ground and like get some dirt and just rub it on it a little bit where the snake bit you, and then you'll be better. You go, oh, all right, well, I can, I can buy that. But just look at a snake. How is that? God goes, you just got to trust me. I know that there are people here in this room today that the, the story of Jesus and the cross, you know, that what, what we say around here and we believe wholeheartedly is that if you trust Jesus, if you trust God and you trust the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who is later in this story, if you trust him wholly with your life, you'll get heaven and you'll get the peace that comes with it. And people go, that's just weird. It's irrational. It's like looking at a snake after you've been bitten. That doesn't make any sense. And God goes, yeah, that's because you have to trust me. They quickly forget who God is. And they for quickly forget who they are. In this story, they finally get up. God reminds who he is. You can go one more slide down. 
They finally get up to the promised land. Years and years and years they walk in the desert and finally they get close to it and it's inhabited by people. Can you imagine that? And not just by people. They aren't just little runt people. These are huge people. There are some people in history who, believe, who study this who believe that these were giants. They were like Goliath. They were nine, ten feet tall, eight feet tall. They were big. If, they, if the NBA had been back there, they'd have been dominant. Okay? They were huge human beings that lived in this place. So not only they get to this, this, the promised land. All the Israelites come around. There are about two million of them by this time, those who hadn't been bit by snakes and died along the way. And they come up to the promised land, and, God, and Moses says, here's what I want you to do. I want to send out one spy from each of the tribes. There were 12 tribes. I want to send out one spy. So 12 guys went and snuck in to the promised land. And this is part of our story this week. Now, if you, were, if you ever were in Sunday school or in junior worship, you, you may have heard this song. 12 men went to spy on Cain, and 10 were bad, and 2 were good. Have you ever heard that song? No, I'm just that old. <laughs> Forget I said that. But that was the thing. Twelve guys went to spy. They went to spy and see what this land was like. Moses said, I, I need to make some tactical decisions because we're going to have to fight for this. People are like, wait a minute, I thought God was giving us this land. And Moses says, no, you're going to have to trust God. We're going to have to take what's ours and God's going to have to go before us. And so these twelve guys go and they, they come back with this pole. If you read our story this week, they come back with this pole that has huge grapes on it like they've never seen. Just these huge grapes, and they're, they're holding it between them on a pole. They come back, and the Israelites start going, did that come from our promised land? They've been eating dead birds and, and bread for 40 years, and they come back with these huge, huge grapes. I guess if you eat a bird, it's always dead, isn't it? Somebody's <laughs> laughing at me over there. They come back with these huge grapes, and then the people start to go, that's what I want. I want to live. Maybe God's promise is real. And they come up, and these 12 spies come. Ten of the spies say, there ain't no way we can take over that land. These guys are NBA basketball players. They're huge. We can't possibly take over them. Two of them disagreed. Look at this, Numbers chapter 13, verse 33. We saw the Nephilim. These are the descendants of Anak that come from the Nephilim, which are these huge giants. If you heard this at this time, you're going, oh, no. Not giants. They're like NBA basketball players meets WWF, you know, meets a transformer. They're just enormous people. We see, here's what they say. Here's what these spies say. We seemed like grasshoppers. Just little. We seemed like grasshoppers. I love this. In our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. I think this is huge. And I, I want you to transplant. That's the important thing in this story as we go through it. When you, when you get to a point like this in the story, you go, where am I in the story? Where is my story in this story? Many of you are going through some awful, stupid 40 years in the desert right now. You're, you don't understand. You feel like you're just barely making it one day after the next. You've been promised this thing, and you're coming to church, and you're going, I don't know if it's real. The preacher acts like it, and sometimes I feel like it. And, but then on, by Thursday, I'm like, totally, no way again. And you're kind of in this 40 years of desert just like they are. And when you come up against something that's so hard, your tendency, if you're like the Israelites, I am, is to go, I'm too small. I can't possibly beat that. I know there are some of you in this room who have been slaves to things like the Egyptians were, they, or like the Israelites were. They, were. they were slaves. And God had rescued them, but they still had that mentality of being slaves, you know? 
They still felt inferior. They still feel awful. They still feel below everything else. And when they come up against something hard, their first thought is, I'm too little. I can't do it. And so Moses said, what do the rest of you think? These ten spies go, nope, we're too small. We're like grasshoppers. And two men, one named Joshua, one named Caleb, said, we can do this. God is bigger than this. Now at that point, because of their faith and because of their lack of faith, God said, every one of the Israelites who have said, no way, we can't do this, you won't get to see the promised land if you're over 20 years old. This is part of the, the scripture. But Caleb and Joshua, you will because of your faith. And anybody under 20. And so when they finally get to the promised land, it's a bunch of young dudes and Joshua and Caleb. And that's what it is. Because of their faith and all this. And at this point in history, there are a few people who remember who they are. This is what I want to do in Perry. In, in the midst of what some people, especially in politics, and some people, if you watch Fox News or CNN, they begin to say the whole world's falling apart. And I'm watching uh, the preppers show, the end of the world preppers show, and these people are holing up and they're getting their guns and their food and they're going into big holes in the ground. You know what I'm saying? You know who does that? Grasshoppers. Grasshoppers run. Grasshoppers go below ground. Grasshoppers flee. You know who doesn't? People who trust that it isn't their power anyway. People who trust that the one and only God is what gives them the power to go through the 40 years of junk in their life to get what God has promised. i got to keep moving here. They had forgot who they become, and I cannot, I cannot get past this today. i gotta, I got to push through this. This piece of scripture I love, it's from Jeremiah. It's later on in the story, but he's talking back about this time, and he says this. This is the way God put it. They found grace in the desert. Some of you are in your desert today, and you're going, where's the grace? Jeremiah says, there's grace in the desert. These people who survived the killing, Israel, out looking for a place to rest, met God who was looking for them. And then I love this. God told them, I have never quit loving you. Never will. Expect love, love, and more love. Expect comfort? No. Expect love? My son has started this thing, and I asked Richard to make sure I was telling the truth about this. He, he started this thing with us, and we do it every single night in our house. It happens all the time. It happened before I leave this morning. He does this thing where before we go to bed at night, he'll go, Dad, I love you more than there is water in the ocean. That's his favorite thing. He wants to hear, Dad, I love you more than there is water in the ocean. And then it's my turn. Buddy, and he loves animals, so I, mine usually has something to do with that. Buddy, I love you more than there are alligators in the world. And then London will go, Daddy, I love you more. And then we just one-up each other. Well, I love you more than there are stars in the universe. I love you more than... And we keep coming up with them. And it sounds stupid and it sounds cheesy. And I don't care what you think. Because that is shaping my kids' lives. And I mean it when I say I love you more than I love Kit Kats. (laughs) And now that Hostess has gone away, I love Kit Kats. I mean it, buddy. And here's why Reese does it. Here's why Reese does it. He does it at night because it's after a full day of stupid choices by him. Stupid choices. And he does love me. The kid loves me. I mean, you know, he loves me. But I'll tell you what he wants at that point. He wants to hear mine. 
He wants to hear me say back to him, I love you more than there are fish in Lake Monroe. He loves that one. Because he's going, still, Dad? Because remember what I said to Mom today? And I know how you feel about me saying bad things to my mom. That's one of my Ten Commandments in my house. Thou Thou shalt not disrespect thy mama. And he knows it. And remember what I said, Dad, still? There's this thing in him that he goes, still? And I want you to know today, some of you have come and you're in the 40 years of the desert and you've made so many stupid mistakes. And you have, and I can say it, and you can call me what you want to call me, but you've made dumb mistakes. Stop it. But you come to the evening, and you, or you come to this point in your life where you go, God, still? And I want you to know, maybe you don't take anything else I say today, and you don't hear anything else I say. I want you to leave with this, that yes, still in the midst of all the bad decisions, in the midst of the bad choices, in the midst of one bad one after another, in the addictions, in the junk, in the not trusting him and only using him when you need him, he still desperately loves you. So they forgot about God. They forgot about who they were. They forgot who God was and they forgot who they were. And they, they misplaced, and this is huge today. Some of you aren't going to like this, and I'm going to go through it quickly. Some of you aren't going to like this today, but it's just true. There are some things that they prioritize that God doesn't. And I want you to hear this because it sets up the whole story. The first one is, I I, I tend to feel like it's not fair what God does with death. He kills people with snakes, and he goes into towns, and he destroys, the Israelites destroy other communities, and you're like, what in the world? And then this thing with Moses. Moses and Aaron die before they come into the promised land. Here's the thing about God. He is not as concerned about death as you are. And that goes for your story right now. Breaks his heart that your heart is broken by death. The fear that you have, the fear that I have, it breaks his heart. He doesn't want that. But I can tell you this, it's not top priority for him. And here's why. Because he knows what's next. He sees what's next. He knows that the time you're on earth is such a small part of your life. That there is so much more here. And that death is actually a promotion. It's actually an upgrade. And when God can see all that at the same time, he sees people's lives and he goes, you know what? I hate what this does to the families. I hate how this hurts. I hate what it, but I know what's next. I see what's best. So we look at Moses and, and, and we go, God, that's not fair. Moses didn't get to see the promised land. All that hard work and Moses didn't get to see the promised land. And God goes, Yeah, he did. He got to see a whole lot more than that. And quicker than all the rest of you. See, the thing about God is he doesn't prioritize death the way we do. And i got to be honest with this today. It would be so easy for me as a preacher to just go past this. But this is the truth of it. If you in your life, if the, if the number one priority in your life is to keep yourself living and all the rest of the people living around you, you're going to miss out on the story that God has for you. Because it's so much bigger. It's so much bigger. When I hear the story of Adrian and cancer, of course my first, because I'm human, and I'm going, God, keep her alive. Make it, get the cancer out of her. God's going, I'm going to, and I got this thing. But I know what's best for her, and if there's a way I can draw people to trust me more through this scenario, I'm going to do it because I see what's next. I know where Adrian's going. 
I can see her in 30 years, 50 years, 150 years from now. And the 10 minutes she's got here on earth is not anything compared to what's next. Are you getting this? Somebody should nod ahead, fog a mirror, something. This is huge. And this is what separates you, friends, from your neighbor. This is what separates those who have the hope of what's next from those who don't know what's next and can't trust God for it. This is it. Next slide there. Go back one. I'm sorry. Go back two, Tanya. Got ahead of myself. There we go. The second thing is this that we learn from God's priorities is this, that God isn't as concerned with us being comfortable as we are. There's a point in this story where we, where we see the Israelites go, God, give me something other than bread. And God goes, don't you know you're in the desert? You're the luckiest desert dwellers on the earth. You get bread every day. Your bellies are fat, fatso. What in the world are you complaining about? This is the stinking desert. And they go, but I want a cheeseburger. And God, here's what God does. Those of you who are red knows what God does. God goes, all right, here it is. Moses, tell them they'll have meat. He, he takes a wind in from the desert somewhere, brings these birds. They plump down all over the, the place, and all the Israelites go, woohoo, woohoo, woohoo. It's meat, it's meat, it's cheeseburgers, it's, you know, chicken wings. And they, they cook them all up, and before, the Bible says, before it hits their mouth, they begin in disease. And God says, you won't have any more manna. The healthy stuff, the stuff I created for you. You're just going to eat this fried food. Value meal number two for you every day for 30 days, six day, 60 days, 90 days. Value meal supersized every day. It's going to kill you. Remember, I know what's best. And I'm much more concerned with you trusting me than I am with how comfortable you are. Here's what God's promised. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make sure you have what you need. This is going on at Christmas every year in my family. Every year my kids get the I wants. You know what that is? They watch commercials, which are perfectly suited for them. They watch commercials and go, I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that. And it happens, it goes from Thanksgiving till about December 1st. They go, I want that, I want that. And on December 1st it switches. And it goes to, I need that, I need, need that. And I go, no, you don't. I need that. <laughs> no, no, wait a minute. I don't either. Because that's what happens to us, isn't it? It quickly goes from I need to I want. And God goes, no. In my perspective, I see what's next. I see what's going on now. Here, the way you treat your kids, the way you treat me, the way you deal with what's important in life, that's what I'm concerned with. You can eat manna. You let me take care of what you need. And don't go complaining about what you want. So I want you to know when you come in here, and, and it happens a lot, and I'm praying with you, but you go, well, we're, we're trying to buy a new car, and, you know, we just want God to help us buy this new car. Like, what's wrong with your old car? Well, it stinks because the kid threw up in the back seat. Well, you know what? I <laughs> thought that was funny, didn't you, bud? <laughs> well, you know what? I hope you get a new car, but that's not God's promise for you. It's not. A bike would probably do. Nah, I hope I don't have get my car taken away from all this. But i got to tell you, this is God's concern. And we sometimes get so consumed with what we want and not what we need. And finally this, that the most important thing to God, and this is so extreme, so hard, the most important thing to God is not your comfort. 
The most important thing to God is not even your life on earth. Your most important thing to God is that you trust him above all. Because that's the only thing that you'll take with you to what's next. That's it. Now today, band can come up. I've gone a long time today. I knew that would happen. You're all right. When you wander in your story, see we're all the way down at the end. The arrow's all the way down at the bottom. You can take a deep breath. When you are wandering in your story, here's, here's the way we apply the story, God's story to ours this week. Here it is. Remember who God is. Remember who you are. And try to get perspective on what's the most important thing to God in all this. My buddy Joel and his wife with the kids, I, I need to call him back and I haven't yet. I'm a bad friend. It's one thing that I'm trying to work on in my life. I'm not a good friend and he loves me anyway. But I really want to call him or write him and say, dude, it's going to get better. The 40 years in the desert, you're going to get somewhere. The kids are going to finally get it. The rules that you're setting, this mess that's going on, these things where you're, become, you're seeing things in yourself you don't like and all this stuff, it, it's, it's going to get better. And what I can't wait to say to him is that your kids are going to learn to trust you through all this. They're going to learn that dad's right. They're, you're going to learn. They're going to learn in this that, that they are who that you say they are. See, one of the hardest things for kids who are adopted, and many of you know this in this place, is to feel like they're part of the, really physically part of the family. And one of the things these kids are dealing with right now is, you're not my real dad. Especially the older kids. Really? This was fun to play for a while. but So the more Joel talks to them, the more he gives them rules, the more he sets his foot down, the more he begins to say, yes, you can trust me, and what I'm saying makes sense, then they begin to remember who they are are. They begin to believe that they're adopted, that they really are loved. Some of you today, you haven't got that with God yet. You haven't felt that. You haven't understood that. Some of you have been playing games with God. Throughout this 40 years, this is what we see with the Israelites. They play games. Oh, God, we love you so much. Would you bring us some birds, please? Oh, God, we'll serve you as long as you keep getting us comfortable. And God goes, I don't play those games. Some of you have said to me a lot, you know, I've been coming to church a long time and I've never felt the peace that you talk about comes from God. And I want to go, because church doesn't bring it. In fact, church can make it worse. If you don't accept a relationship with God, if you don't look at God and go, yes, I trust you and I will live the way you asked me to live, I will do whatever I can to live by those. When you do that, that's when you make a connection with God. If you play games with God, you will miss Him. And the peace that comes with the little baby in the manger that we're celebrating. Today I'm praying you get perspective and I'd like for you to do that. I'm going to go back to that corner love for you to stand with me and sing. We're going to sing this morning. I'll give you a chance this morning to say those things to God. God, I remember that you are who you say you are. I remember who you are. You're in charge and I'm not. I remember who I am. I'm saved. I'm yours. God, give me the perspective on my life and on the story that is yours. Would you stand with us and sing today?